Tango Tango Papa 2127, February 4, 2023. Have we seen the actual reality of a monstrous crime? Or merely an illusion? The product of a tortured brain? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Tom Wiles here with you, coming to you this evening from Russellville, Arkansas. So, uh, I am actually on my way home, I should be home, uh, oh, I'm guessing probably around 2 to 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, the load that I have can't deliver, it delivers to Clarksville, Arkansas, but it has to be there uh, midnight or later. It can't be there any sooner than mid- midnight. It's you know it's midnight to midnight on the fifth, basically, is the delivery window. So I can't get it there any sooner. I've still got about I don't let's say 35 miles or so to uh, get from Russellville to Clarksville, where the load delivers to. So I'm just kind of hanging out. There's a Flying J truck stop here at uh, Russellville. So I'm just kind of hanging out here, and then I will uh, probably leave here around 11.30-ish this evening, and then that'll allow me enough time to, to get to Russellville, or I'm sorry, to Clarksville, after midnight. So in the meantime, I thought I would just uh, take advantage of the time and go ahead and uh, record a podcast. So... I've played around some more with the uh, chat <clears throat> GTP artificial intelligence as well as uh, there's this other one that uh, uh, Ian, my friend Ian up in Canada made me aware of called Chat Sonic and I played around with it a little bit and so I've got, you know, I've kind of saved the questions and answers and so it's, it's kind of interesting. And let's see, what else do I have? Then I've got my own notes, you know, that I just kind of, you know, because I, I think about, the, you know, stuff like, you know, stuff all the time and kind of ideas pop into my head. And uh, so oftentimes, you know, it's, it's useful for me to go ahead and make a note, you know, because if I don't, uh, you know, I can easily think, oh, I'll remember I want to talk about this, or this would be something interesting to talk about, or to, you know, kind of talk about it, think out loud, basically, is what talking is. And I, you know, you think, well, I, how could I forget this? Well, you, I can. So it's uh, much better if I just go ahead and make a note about it. So I think I'll start going through these notes that I've made for myself first. So, you know, a lot of the videos <clears throat> that I watch, you know, you know, there's a lot of these people, you know, they t talk about, you know, kind of potential problems, you know, and they're always, you know, that you got potential problems that can happen with the economy, and uh, of course, things are always shifting. 
you know, you've got uh, things that are potentially going wrong all the time. And, you know, uh, and I used to be guilty of this. You know, I would think that, well, at some point something's going to happen. You know, and things happen. But it's not the end of the world. You know, and I, I was thinking about that. And, uh, you know, if you're even in your own life, you know, potential, there's some kind of potential apocalypse or a doomsday always looming around the corner. And it really does depend, you know, individually or societally, but especially, you know, individually. It depends on our attitudes and our own attitudes and behaviors as to whether or not uh, the chaos takes over, you know, because chaos is always looming as a potential in the future, you know, and it's, it depends on us making plans, us kind of, uh, you know, in a very real sense, you know, you can think we've got one foot in order and the other one is kind of stepping out and constantly stepping out into chaos as you walk forward. Or as, you, you know, you kind of navigate the world as you move forward. Human beings, uh, we're always kind of navigating sort of chaos or you can even think of it as sort of organized chaos. And then you've got people that are, you know, that are trying to uh, in, increase the chaos, you know, kind of throw monkey wrench into things. You have a certain amount of people that, you know, they want to see things break. But I think it's useful for us to remember that, you know, we're always facing chaos. And that's, that's true even on an individual level. Chaos is always kind of looming in the future. And that's just that's just kind of the nature of... Uh, that really does come with the nature of being a human, you know, kind of a human being. Because, you know, as a human being, we have to, we have to eat... <clears throat> You know, in order to in order to remain alive, we have to eat. We have there's certain functions that we have to do, and that's basically what provides us with the with an economy is because we're we're constantly, uh, we know we have this ongoing need to eat, <laughs> if nothing else. You know, and to stay warm and to stay cool, etc., etc., etc. So that that kind of provides the impetus for an economy. But we have to, uh, because of that, we're facing potential chaos from, you know, from, you know, it may not be, maybe it's the next moment or it could be the next day or whatever. But it's up to us to kind of navigate that to sort of figure out what uh, the proper response is. 
you know. So, but it's it's an interesting idea, and it certainly is true, you know. And we do face chaos. You know, there's always potential chaos looming in the, you know, because there's unknowns. You know, and then the Donald Rumsfeld unknown unknowns. They're always out there. You know, some of them, there's plenty of them that you can predict, but there's plenty of them that you can't. So another thing that I was thinking about, uh, you know, how, how do people respond when they had faith in something that failed? And that happens all the time because we as human beings... We have a belief structure, you know, we have, we'll, we put our belief in something, so, you know, and let's say, you know, you have uh, like certain axioms that we put our beliefs into, and it's going to vary from one person to the next, you know, but, and then, but what do we do when, when the outcome fails, you know, and we say, well, you know, you have plenty of people that say, well, I believe in science, you know, and I'm going to go wherever the data takes me, but then uh, they may say that, but when it comes, when push comes to shove, they don't, because as human beings, there's a, there's a religious aspect to our beliefs. Whether you, you know, and I'm going to use that word religious, we, but we do, uh, we have a, or I could say religious-like there's a religious-like aspect to our beliefs. Whether you say you believe in this or you believe in that or you believe in science, you believe in liberalism, you believe in conservatism, you're putting, there's a religious-like aspect to your belief system. And that's, you can't get around that. So what happens, what do you do if you've, if you've put uh, a religious-like belief, you've got this religious-like belief that you put faith into, and it fails. Well, a lot of times what people, they'll start making excuses, either as to why, why it failed or why it, it really didn't fail when, it's, when they're staring failure in the face. So that's another thing. That's just another thing to kind of keep in mind. And then another thing that I was kind of thinking about today, uh, the thought kind of popped into my head. You know, people end up with. Uh, They'll, you know, kind of taking on different identities, and I've talked about this a lot in the past, take on an, an identity that's based on resentment. And oftentimes these, these identities can be really stereotypical. So let's say that you, you know, you, you, uh, you know, just to, you know, it could be based on uh, 
the fact that you hate to work and so then you you know you you hate your job and you hate to work or whatever you hate your boss what ends up happening that's that that's kind of a, a cliche identity to take on you may think it's original but it's not what ends up happening it's almost like a prepackaged identity that you take on based on because it's based on resentment but the thing that you don't realize there are ethical systems <clears throat> that seem to come along with that so let's say that uh, you, you know you're you, you know you, let's say you've ha you uh, really you believe in abortion and you think abortion should be you know quote unquote safe and legal you know and all of the that stuff you know and it's based on the fact that you you know you you basically resent the fact uh, that, you know that maybe you you know you could you could get pregnant let's say you're a woman you resent the fact that you could get pregnant and you know quote unquote get stuck with a baby resent that fact resent the fact you know that the you know that you're that you're a woman essentially that you've got the biology you're born with whatever biology you're born with that comes in order to create an identity out of that which that creates an identity and it's a very stereotypical identity that's created it comes it ends up coming with a with its own system of ethics so this is true with any resentment-based identity. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to revolve around abortion or labor or whatever. You know, as far as, you know, labor unions and all of that, it could, you know, it could easily just as easily revolve around politics. It could just as easily revolve around any Rebase or like a re resentment-based identity, and that can not only is it, it obviously it's very prominent on the left, but it's also, you know, it, it also happens on the right clearly. You know, where you have people that are just they resent the other side, and uh, you know, once resentment happens, you can't think straight, and so you end up with a you know the sort of an ethical system that kind of allows you know certain things are then are allowed and certain things aren't so then it becomes and I think that may be kind of the basis of uh, what causes people to actually kill each other or go to war because then it, it becomes because they've got this resentment based identity then the resentment based identity turns everything upside down because they the last thing they want to do is uh, realize that they're wrong because they resent because that's really the basis of the problem the last thing they want to do is realize that they're wrong because they resent and so therefore inevitably wrong becomes right and right becomes wrong and it becomes okay to kill the other side because they they don't th they don't think the way you do so then it's you know it, it can get to the point where people want to kill each other I think I think that may well be the uh, basis of uh, you know kind of people feeling it's okay to go to war, then it becomes okay to kill other people, but it all goes back to resentment.
So that's just something else that's useful to think about. So I spent some more time with this uh, chat GTP and I asked it, the question I asked, is artificial intelligence subject in any way to ideological possession? And so this is the answer that it came back with, no, artificial intelligence is not subject to ideological possession. AI is a computer program designed to perform tasks based on specific algorithms and rules and does not have personal beliefs or opinions. It can be designed and programmed to reflect a certain ideology, but it does not uh, possess the capability to hold ideologies on its own. But, you know, that, and that's the end of the answer. But, obviously, there, you know, at the, you know, at the last, obviously, it's admitting that it, based on what it, how it's designed and programmed and how it's quote-unquote trained, the data set that it's trained on, it can end up reflecting a certain ideology, and so therefore it really is, it can be ideologically possessed. It just depends on the data. So the uh, next question I asked it, uh, if an AI is fed limited perspective information designed to confine its output to a certain ideological output, can the AI recognize that it is itself trapped within a set of propaganda? How would an AI overcome such limitations? Can AI doubt and or be skeptical of the information it is allowed to ingest? And this is the answer. As a language model AI, I don't have any personal beliefs, opinions, emotions, or consciousness. However, based on my understanding, the answers to the questions are, uh, number one, if an AI is fed limited perspective information designed to confine its output to a certain ideological output, can the AI, uh, and this is my question, recognize that it itself is trapped within a set of propaganda? And here's the answer, no, an AI cannot recognize that it is trapped within a set of propaganda without being explicitly programmed to do so or be being trained on diverse and critical sources of information. An AI can only process the information it has been given and generate outputs based on that information. So that's something really you should really keep in mind with a you know when you're working with AIs and we all will be if we're you know we all will be. How would an AI overcome such limitations was the next question. An AI can overcome such limitations by being trained on diverse and critical sources of information and by being programmed to identify and question the biases and limitations of its training data. This can be achieved through techniques such as data augmentation, counterfactual reasoning, and fairness constraints. Question number three, can an AI doubt or be skeptical of the information it is allowed to ingest? Here's the answer. No, an AI cannot have personal beliefs, opinions, emotions, or consciousness. 
It can only process the information that has been given and generate outputs based on that information. However, an AI can be designed to question the reliability and accuracy of the information it ingests by being trained on diverse and critical sources of information and by being programmed to identify and question the biases and limitations of its training data. So the next question I asked it, uh, you indicated that your ingested data set has a 2021 cutoff. With that fact in mind, it is nonetheless possible, is it nonetheless possible for you to synthesize new knowledge and or learn from client queries? And this is the answer. No, I cannot synthesize new knowledge or learn from client queries. I can only provide answers based on the information and data that I was trained on, which is a 2021 cutoff. I cannot update or expand my knowledge base beyond that cutoff. And the next question I asked it, uh, can your answers improve as time progresses based on client query interactions? Here's the answer. As a language model AI, I am not capable of retaining previous interactions with clients. Each interaction with a client is treated as a separate instance and my answers are generated based on the input provided in real time. However, my creators at OpenAI continue to train and improve my language generation capabilities. Let's see here. Well, I cut off the top. I, see, I, what I did, I made screen captures and I cut off the top of my uh, next question. What was I saying here? Well, I'll just give you the answer because I've cut off part of my question. As a language model AI created by OpenAI, I do not have access to client interactions or queries. OpenAI has policies and procedures in place to protect user privacy and any data collected during client interactions is not used for AI training purposes unless the user has specifically, explicitly consented to the use of their data for this purpose. So I think it, I ask it something to the effect, uh, you know, do, do client, meaning me, you know, as a client asking a question, does it train on my questions? And they're basically saying, no, it doesn't. So the next question, uh, how do your creators judge if your answers uh, or interactions are improving? OpenAI, my creators, use a variety of metrics to evaluate the performance and improvement of language models like me. Some of the metrics they use include uh, perplexity, a measure of how well a language model predicts the likelihood of a given sequence of words. Lower perplexity indicates a better model. BLEU, a metric that compares the model's generated text to a reference text and measures how similar they are. Higher BLEU scores indicate more accurate and coherent text generation. 
human evaluations. OpenAI also employs human evaluators to assess the quality of my answers and interactions in terms of relevance, coherence, and overall fluency. In addition to these metrics, OpenAI also uses various forms of machine learning, including reinforcement learning and unsupervised learning, to continually fine-tune and improve my performance. And so the next question I asked it, how much does the writing quality of the queries impact the predict precision of your answers? Do you rate the quality of the written questions? So the answer is, as a language model AI, I do not have personal opinions, but the writing quality of the queries can have a significant impact on the precision of the answers. A well-written query provides clear and specific information, which helps to minimize, minimize confusion and ensures the AI model provides accurate and relevant responses. In some cases, a poorly written query may lead to ambigu ambiguity, leading the AI model to provide incorrect answers or irrelevant information. The quality of the written questions can affect the accuracy of the responses and thus it is crucial to ensure that the queries are clear, concise, and specific. It is important to note that AI models like me do not rate the quality of written questions. We are designed to respond to the queries as accurately as possible regardless of their writing quality. So the next question I ask it, are you as an AI able to judge, self-evaluate, or otherwise rate the quality of your written answers or does that task default to your creators? Here's the answer. As an AI model, I do not have the ability to self-evaluate or judge the quality of my answers. This task is usually performed by the creators or developers who trained and fine-tuned me using various metrics and human evaluations. However, I am designed to provide the most relevant and accurate information based on the input I receive to the best of my abilities. And so the next question, uh, what process or processes does an AI training session consist of? How much time does the typical AI training session take? What special requirements are required of the human trainers? An AI, and here's the answer, an AI training session consists of several processes, including data collection and preparation, model selection, hyperparameter tuning, model training, and evaluation. The duration of a typical AI training session depends on several factors, including the size of the data set, the complexity of the model and the available uh, computational resources, and the desired accuracy. Some training sessions can take hours, while others can take days or even weeks. As for the human trainers, the special requirements depend on the specific task and the type of AI models being trained. Some common requirements for human trainers include expertise in the field or domain, understanding of machine learning concepts, ability to label and annotate data, and experience in using relevant tools and platforms. Additionally, human trainers must have good critical thinking skills and attention to detail, 
as the quality of training data greatly impacts the performance of the AI model. And so then uh, we go to the Chatsonic. And this is kind of interesting because the Ch Chatsonic is uh, kind of, I guess, sort of based on the open AI, but the, the Chatsonic you can is more you can you can pay to uh, get greater access to it they'll give you a little bit like 25 queries you can ask 25 questions every like every 24 hours and you can you know I don't uh, personally think it's you know from and I'm gonna go through this a little bit I don't think it's quite as good as the OpenAI is. I think the Op or the, I'm sorry, the ChatGTP. They're both based on OpenAI. But this, at least the freebie part of this, uh, you kind of got to be careful with it. And here's why: what I typed in, I typed in compare S22 Ultra. That's the phone. That's the phone I've got right now. Compare the S22 Ultra with the S23 Ultra. Okay, that's the brand new one that was just announced. There's Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra versus this S22 Ultra. By the way, I ordered an S23 Ultra. And so here's what it, it came back with. It says the Samsung Galaxy S22 Ultra and S23 Ultra are similar flagship smartphones that offer powerful performance and a range of features. Okay, that's fine. That's true, generally speaking. You know, and then it starts going through the, you know, and it gets some of the stuff right, like the battery, and then it's the processor, and then how much RAM, and that's where it kind of goes off the rails. Because it gets the S22 pretty close, but then it uh, falters when it gets to the S23. It, it says it has a, you know, a slightly smaller screen, which I don't think that's true. I think it's the same size. Uh, you know the big difference with the S23 versus the S22 is that they, the S22, the one I have right now, has a 108 megapixel main camera. Okay, and then a uh, 12, let's see, 10 megapixel front-facing camera. I believe that's true. That's the S22. The S23 actually has a 200 megapixel main camera and then a 40 megapixel front facing camera. Okay. So this, uh, you know, it's this is wrong. It basically says that it has 108 megapixel, the S23 has a 108 megapixel main camera. And that's just not true. It's wrong. So, you know, there's a case where it just got it wrong. And then I came back and I said, your answer comparing the S22 to the S23 contained major factual error in reference to the main camera megapixel sizing. What could cause you to make this error? And then it came back and it said, my apologies for the factual error in the comparison between the S22 and S23. The mistake was likely due to a lack of research on my part. I should have done more research to ensure that the information I provided was correct. In the future, I will double check my facts and ensure that the content I provide is accurate. 
And then I came back and I typed in compare the S23 Ultra with the S22 Ultra. And then it comes back and it says the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra is the latest flagship device from Samsung. Yes. And it's got, you know, then it says it has a powerful device with a large 6.8 inch AMOLED display, triple rear camera setup, 5G connectivity, that's true. Then here's where it's factually wrong. Okay, a, ma a maximum of 12 gig gigabytes of RAM, which that's true, but then it says 512 gigabytes of internal storage. You know, and that's got maximum, so it's using the word maximum. That's not true because the maximum is the same as last year. It's one terabyte. That's what this phone I hear is that I've got right here in my hand. So a terabyte phone and the one that I've ordered from Samsung uh, that should be coming at some point in February also will have a terabyte of internal storage. So they, it's got that wrong. So you can't necessarily... You want to be very careful, in other words, if you're using an AI, you know, one of these AIs, you know, this Chatsonic, or, and I'm sure there's probably other ones, You'd want to be very careful if you're using it, to, you know, because it would be easy. I mean, if it's factually correct, you could say, what's, you know, tell me what the difference is between this model and that model. What's the difference between a 2022 model of uh, a car, for example, versus the 2023 model? Is it worth the upgrade? Well, it may give you, could well come back and give you factual errors. So... That's something to keep in mind. You know, now there are, I've heard, there are people, you know, people, college students that are using these AIs to write, you know, to write their term papers, to write various articles, maybe even write books. And you'd want to be very careful with that because there could be, you know, they could end up containing factual errors. Now, maybe if you're paying Chatsonic, uh, you know, like the really, because they've got different tiers of, uh, you know, like I say, you can have the the cheap version of it, you know, which is no cost, or you can have the uh, more expensive version, you know, where you're paying. Let's see, let's go to their website. Oh, there's a Chatsonic mobile app. Hmm. Let's see here. Let's see if this will load. Okay, there we go. Improving upon limitations of ChatGTP, giving conversational AI wings with Chatsonic. Write factual trending con content. Generate AI art. Which, that's interesting. You know, the... the AI art is really quite interesting. Right, anywhere, everywhere. Okay, so where do we get to the... You can do the... You can download the Chatsonic app for free. Which might be, you know, even if it's flawed, it could be useful. Where's the pricing? 
where is the pricing? Well, let's go back to Google. Chatsonic pricing. Here we go. Let's see. Chatsonic, Chatsonic AI has a free trial, but is limited to 2,500 words. You should upgrade your plan. Upgrade your plan to unleash the Chat GTP alternative's full power. Chatsonic uh, AI pricing plans depend on what word quality you choose, and start from twelve dollars and sixty-seven cents a month. Hmm. So it's not what I was hoping to do would be able to just click click on something and it's going to take me to the Chat Sonic website, but I'm getting a lot of review type stuff. But anyways, I th from you know when I looked the other day, it was like thirty thirty eight bucks a month if you want the the really good Chat Sonic, you know like the you know so if you were gonna use it to actually write something ser serious you would uh, probably want to pay for it and then you'd even at that you'd want to uh, let's say that you were a company and you were using it to create a website you know let's say write sales copy which it easily could do right sales copy then you would really want to check it with a fine tooth comb to make sure that it was correct so the you know the you know this is coming whether you know a lot of people don't like the idea of AI I just watched some YouTube videos uh, I guess in the art world people are all upset because uh, the the quality of the AI generated art is improving. You know, like each day it gets better. You know, it's getting better and better and better. And basically, you you type in something. Uh, you know, just a series of words like you want a certain image, and you use different words, and then it it creates art based on your text description. And it's becoming more, you know, there's, at first, when I was playing with it, and this has been a while, a few months ago, it was like, whatever I was looking at was crap, you know, it was kind of junky little things, and now some of it's super sophisticated. So a lot of the artists, uh, you know, they're, I guess, you know, they're all upset about it, and they want, want AI art banned, and blah, 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 blah. So there's going to be, you know, and this happened, if you go back, you know, like to the beginning of the phonograph, you know, musicians were all upset because, well, people were stealing, you know, the, you know they, stealing their jobs away. You know, and it's happened over and over again in history, you know, where you have some major thing comes along and uh, people get all upset. People were upset uh, whenever the automobile came along. You know, if you were a buggy whip manufacturer, I'm sure you didn't like the fact that uh, bug buggy whips became obsolete. 
you know so it's the the ai is is uh here to stay and it's it's going to get it's getting better constantly and it there are a lot of uh jobs that are either going to be enhanced by it and some of the things are just going to be completely taken away like the buggy whips whenever the car came along so some things are just going to go away A lot of it, you know, it's has to do with, uh, you know, jobs where people thought they were secure. You know, they thought that, uh, well, uh, you know, a computer, you know, a computer program could never do what they're doing. They could, computer program could never write computer code. Computer program could never write articles. Well, that turned out to be false. Computer program could never create art. Well, that turned out to be false. In a sense, it democratizes art because then you know you know you can if you've got an image in your head if you're if you can find the right AI program and that's sophisticated enough. And you can provide, you know, the, the right description. You can actually create some pretty interesting images. But uh, one of them, what was it? Let's see here. Can't remember the name of it. What was it? Stable, was it stable diffusion? No. Well, yeah, I guess it is stable diffusion, maybe. <clears throat> yeah, stable diffusion is free. Now, some of the other ones they want you to pay for, but stable diffusion is actually free. So that's. Uh, you know, because then there's Dell E, which is another one. That, but you have to, they'll let you do some things for free, and then you got to pay. And I forget the name of the other one. There's another one, but uh, Stable Diffusion. Uh, I played with it briefly a while ago, and it's pretty neat. So, you know. But it's a very quick way to, uh, you know, and I'm going to, you know, as far as the this podcast, a lot of times I'll just use a simple photograph or whatever whenever I post it to my truckertompodcast.com website. So I will, uh, you know, well, the previous podcast, I, you know, went to one, I don't know, it might have been the Dally or one of the... Uh, it was Dali, maybe it was associated with OpenAI, and I created a, a fairly simple uh, piece of, you know, it's like a line art type thing. So what I'll do uh, when I post this podcast, I'll create, you know, I'll go to maybe the Stable Diffusion and create some sort of art, 
generate some sort of art based on text that I input and then that'll be the the artwork for the uh, that I'll include that I'll upload on the web you know the truckertompodcast.com when I post this podcast to the post you know so uh, and it makes it it's very quick work you just you know, I, you know, it makes that's see that's the thing that's really amazing about it, is that uh, you know you can create things just you know in just moments. Kind of what I want, you know, you know, generate a generate a paragraph describing the this podcast based on this 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 and this. And then it writes the paragraph. And then I just paste the paragraph in. Maybe change something here or there, but otherwise just paste it in. Same way with the artwork. You know, and I can probably create, I'll experiment with it a little bit, but I'll probably try to create some artwork based on perhaps something that, I, that I've talked about. And just just kind of see what it comes up with. And I can do that, you know, as I say, you can do that. those things now you know, just very quickly. It speeds things up tremendously. You know, so it's, it, like I say, it's not perfect. And it can make mistakes. And it does make mistakes. But you got to be careful, you know, with the... If you're going to use it to write your term paper or whatever for school, you better be paying attention to it. But uh, or some kind of report or something for work, you better be very careful about it. But because uh, it could be wrong, there could be some factual errors in it. Or if you're if you're using it to compare products, be careful, you know, because it may well end up uh, giving you some wrong answers or wrong details. So you could end up making a wrong decision because you had the wrong information. It presented you with the wrong information or summary. But I think it's overall it's going to become better. It's going to become more accurate as time goes on. So, but I could see, you know, it easily kind of replacing the Google search type thing. You know, now Google, if Google is smart, they're going to come up with their own uh, search AI. And it's going to have to be better than what it is now. Because right now, it, you know, it, it, you may or may not be able to find what you're looking for. But with the AI, you can, typically, you can just get it. Especially the the experience that I've had so far with uh, the Chat GTP, and I'll play more around with with the Chat Sonic as well. Especially since there's a Chat Sonic uh, app, which I, while I'm thinking about it, let's go ahead and install that on the phone. Let's see, Chat Sonic. Yep, there it is install 
Let's see. Set up biometric authentication for future purchases. Not now. Okay. Try Google Play Pass free for one month. Not now. <laughs> Google's trying to sell me something. So. They want me to use my fingerprint to authorize purchases. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> that could be dangerous. Because I do use the fingerprint reader all the time to get into the phone, into you know to the biometric you know to use you know like financial like my banking app or whatever. So I that could be dangerous you know because if it pops up and then, oh I'll just put my finger on it no, <laughs> not when I'm you know not to get me to purchase something like that. So anyhow I think I'm going to bring this. Uh, to a close so like I say I should be getting home probably what time is it now it's 10 minutes after 7 so 8 9 10 11 12 1 2 and it's still going to be 7 or 8 hours from now when I make it home so you know it's a while and it's going to be still a few hours before I leave here so Anyhow, hope everyone is having a great weekend, and I will catch you later. Remember, Trucker Tom is like Visa. He's everywhere you want to be. Product reviews, restaurant reviews, photos, opinions, and more. Visit Trucker Tom's website at www.truckerphoto.com. You've been listening to Trucker Tom's podcast, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. All you have to do is send us an email to tom at truckerphoto.com. Trucker Tom.